All right. So the topic I wanted to bring up for this episode was working with clients who are pretty resistant in treatment. This can, I find, be noticed as early as the first session, but also is, you know, really can be noticed after half a dozen sessions if there isn't much movement. I thought I'd bring this up as a as a piece. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, what do you think some of the big factors that contribute to the resistance would be? Well, the, the, the one I wanted to bring up, like, resistance is largely due to readiness to change. So most people who come into treatment, they don't like where things are at, assuming that they're not being coerced or forced to, into treatment by a loved one, um, court, something like that. In those cases, like when, when that's not the case, then I would say it's something to do with, okay, where are they at with that readiness to change? And the model I often bring up with clients when this is something going on is um, the five stages of change. This, this concept um, was originally used for substance use treatment. And a lot of people, you know, when they're struggling with addiction, have a lot of, a lot of resistance and maybe they're coming in, they don't want to be, say, drinking so much, but just wanting to make a change is easier said than done. The five stages look, look like this. First one is pre-contemplation. So that's basically the equivalent of being in denial that there's a problem. And most people who have a problematic behavior will be in that stage for the longest phase. They'll be ongoing with that behavior. Like let's say sticking with substance abuse, it can be going on for years and they don't see it as a problem because the pros of the current behavior outweigh the cons and they might just continue going in that fashion. Stage two is contemplation. Here they're starting to recognize it is problematic and that seeing that as a problem doesn't necessarily mean they want to go ahead with making the change. In this case, there are still the pros of the current behavior, back to drinking, that might be far better in their minds versus the consequences of drinking. And and again, like there's still change hasn't been made. Stage three, pre or uh, preparation. Here it's like, okay, I do see a problem. I can't keep going in this direction. In this case, we might say the cons have started to supersede the, the pros. And it might be, okay, this isn't great. What am I going to do about this? Preparation doesn't, isn't a stage that lasts for very long. In stage four is action. We have you know these three previous stages where change hasn't taken place only in action is it actually happening and clearly the the cons outweigh the pros and so a person is engaging in change and then the last stage is maintenance so 
usually when engaged in change, it might last about six months. And of that action stage, and then anything after that is considered maintenance. Now, with all five of these stages, there is um, opportunity for relapse and relapse into a previous stage, even in action, even in stages before the action stage. So a person could be in pre-contemplation, then go, okay, this isn't working out. I need to make a change, move into uh, contemplation where they go, this isn't a problem to, okay, this is a problem. They might go back to pre-contemplation. You know what? This isn't an issue. I'm good. And then from pre-contemplation into contemplation, maybe into preparation as they start to get ready to make the change. You know what? I think I'm a good back to pre-contemplation. They might do this several times before even trying action. So a lot of relapse can happen before even making, you know, even abstaining or some sort of harm reduction approach back, you know, in the, in the phase of, in, in the situation regarding substance use. And while this concept was developed for substance use in mind, it still applies to other areas like uh, whether or not a person is happy about the, uh, a relationship that's going on for them, whether or not they want to set boundaries with, with that partner uh, or a colleague or their boss or their best friend, whether they want to, they want to get active um, making changes to their diet making any kind of change we can find them somewhere along those five stages and when i have a client who is quite resistant to change where i'm trying to engage with them and i'm not really getting anything that's when i often bring up the five stages just to help them see where they're at and if that can help nudge them along into a further stage. Mm. So how, how would you bring that up? It depends. If, if I am working with somebody who is, let's say they're working on, they've come to therapy for their trauma and in a first session assessment, we're talking about, okay, what are your goals for treatment? They might start off with something vague like, well, I want to get better. I don't, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to feel like there's a target on my back or I want to, I want to form healthy relationships, something like that. And then, and then we start doing some psychoeducation. We start engaging in some exercises. I, the, the main type of approach I like to use with clients with trauma is cognitive processing therapy, which is helping them to change the way they um, identify themselves, others through stuck points. And let's say we're, we're talking about some exercises they that they, we can engage in, in in session, but also promoting this idea of, okay, these exercises are a lot more effective when you're practicing them every day between appointments. And then we're checking in and follow-up appointments, and they're saying they haven't done anything. 
And then they might bring up something like, you know what, I feel like I'm just not going to get better. Or they'll say something else like, it's probably better for society if I just stay home. Because maybe they they are worried about having anger outbursts or getting violent with with people they have uh, conflict with these these statements of resistance creep in and in a situation like that i might bring up okay so initially you came in wanting to work on these areas and now i'm hearing this resistance let's let's talk a bit about you know the stages of change and then i might also bring up situations like i might ask them hey have there been situations in your life in the past where you've you've noticed yourself uh in a situation where you weren't happy where where you were at and then you made a change and you've continued to make that change today in a positive way so helping them to identify relate to it in other situations not just where they're in the pre-contemplative stage because the pre-contemplative stage is also like the denial stage. And then if I'm just trying to ask them to identify, can you see where you're in denial here? <laughs> it's it's a bit tricky because they, they would say, well, no, I don't. <laughs> but it's easier if there's the hindsight of going, yeah, I remember back then when I wasn't engaged in physical exercise and I didn't think it was a problem until it got to a certain point and then I started engaging in more physical exercise well, I guess there was a, a phase prior to the change where I was definitely pre-contemplative. Mm. So what do you see are some of the big barriers that people are typically bringing up as, as being, you know, what, what hinders them from moving into, you know, the, the next stage to, of change? Hope is one of the big ones that sticks out for me when clients don't feel hopeful that they're going to get better. That's, that's a big one. And, or, or motivation is already seriously low. And that's tricky because I think, well, what, you know, I I certainly want to instill hope. And there's only so much of that I can do Mm -hmm. before they start, making those changes and, and then and then the the benefits they're noticing through that change that they're making becomes this self filling like there's just this momentum that's building up that they can go yeah I want to keep going because I've already seen the benefits of the work I've been doing so far in treatment but we need that initial like that inertia of of some movement mm-hmm. but before you get to that Sorry to interrupt, but before you get to that phase where where there is that movement that they're seeing it, you know how how do you instill the hope? Because that that can be a really challenging thing uh, for you as the therapist to do, particularly when we know that it can't just be you know words, can't just be you know I know you can do this because we know that that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's going to be a little bit different for everybody. There is, I can promote 
some benefits of of what that change can look like and and talk about how like really normalize being in that state of of doubt of feeling like it's not going to get better i often tell clients that any kind of behavioral work and i guess any kind of change any kind of treatment where the person is engaging in change i might categorize as behavioral Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that but any kind of work that they're doing on themselves i describe as opposite to a video game video games the the typical way a video game will start off is the first level is like the easiest and then it progressively gets more difficult as you move along so that when a person is first trying it out, they're not like, oh, this is annoying, I can't do this, and then they drop it. Um, they get that little bit of a buy-in, and then it gets more challenging, but they've already built, built up more, you know, uh, I don't know if it's uh, comfort around the controls, they're, uh, they've already gotten some feedback of, of the wins from, from progressing, and so they have more patience to move on to more challenging levels. In real life, when they're already feeling very depressed or have a low self-esteem, the beginning is the most difficult. And it gets easier as they continue moving forward. And I really try to let them know that that first step, any small, any small movement out of your comfort zone, you may not feel the results right away, but that is an incredible achievement because it's so difficult. So that's that's one of the things I like to to let clients know when 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 we have not been seeing some any kind of movement uh, after a handful of sessions. Mm-hmm. You know that I know nothing about video games, um, so that uh, that explanation actually helps me quite a bit um, because. I I wouldn't have thought that like it does get easier as you progress. But I guess that's also in part because, you know, as you practice, you get better. So it's it's not just, you know, it's not just that the game gets easier. It's not that the skills that you're learning in therapy get easier. It's that you are getting better. You are making progress. And that means that you're able to to do things more or, or, or in a, in a different way, it feels using the term easier quite loosely because you have made change. You made change. You've gotten feedback and you're feeling your, your, that feedback is the reward. So you've already gotten some rewards, these dividends of your investment it takes a bit of time to get that in, that those dividends to get to get those gains. It's very much the same as going to the gym. When you first start going, it's just like um, all I'm getting is feedback from going to the gym for the first time in however many years. Is I feel inadequate. I mean, this is embarrassing. I don't know what I'm doing. And let's say it's even going with a personal trainer. It's like, I feel awful because I'm using these muscles I haven't used in a long time or I didn't know existed. (laughs) 
and and I don't feel stronger. I just this just makes me feel weak. Mm-hmm. That's that's when a person is just getting into going to the gym. Once they've been doing it regularly for six months, let's say, and they're in a maintenance stage, then they're already seeing a lot of improvements. Uh, it's been a habit. They're, they they might even get to that point where they don't like not going because they feel really uncomfortable, or they just they just really they just notice a, a mood change um, when they're not going, and so at that point, the maintenance is so much easier than and let's say they're they're still working on specific goals of you know increasing uh how much they're lifting um how many reps um for duration all these different metrics those things you can continue to increase but it's it was never as difficult as it was when it came to getting started and and that's that's the biggest challenge for a lot of clients i to go back earlier to like what i was saying about taking several sessions to go and do this this is something that i see as as really important because it, it may it may require several sessions of just building up that rapport so they're mm-hmm. getting the, they're getting that trust in 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 me so that they can so we can, you know, we, we've built that comfort level. It's like, okay, now we're going to start moving out of the comfort zone. We've built comfort between the therapeutic alliance. Now we're going to go outside of the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just, it's, otherwise the, the, the therapist becomes that safety person. Mm-hmm. In, and I say that in a pejorative way. Yeah. It's it's not helping. It's just becoming another dependency, and that's that's not a, that's a, certainly not in the client's best interest. Um, and, and yeah, so it's it's trying to push them out, but it's like okay, what to what degree are we getting resistance? Mm-hmm. Quite often, if there's like clients, you know, they're saying I didn't do the the homework. All right, we just had a little interruption the kids um and so have lost our train of thought (laughs) and so have lost our train of thought so you had a question yeah i guess uh my question is if you can share like a a specific example um actually no first before we get into that my my the other question that i had pertaining to um uh before our interruption which i'm starting to remember more or less what we're talking about we're talking about the therapist becoming kind of that pejorative safety person for Mm. the client. Um, And I wanted to ask about that. So for somebody who's new to therapy, whether it's the therapist or the client for that matter, how do you, how do you kind of, um, you know, once you've created that alliance and, and it feels stable, how do you ensure that you are pushing yourself or the client out of their comfort zone appropriately and in a supportive way so you can also bring them back too, right? Yeah, I, I would say for a, for a, for a clinician, 
it might be more if 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 they're if if the clinician if a clinician is ha- having a lot of clients just not come back they might be pushing too far or they haven't they haven't worked enough on therapeutic alliance that would be that would be my main thing to f- focus on now if that's fine and they're just finding like yeah clients keep coming back but we're still stuck with change then the priority would be oh, you're not pushing your clients enough because and, and it's that balance of giving them a push continuing to remind them this is a collaborative experience it's like let me know if i'm going too far on this let me know if this is uncomfortable for you let me know if you want me to slow down my job is maybe it wasn't what they thought they signed up for but in large part my job is to take them out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. uh, unless they're saying hey i'm just here to talk and vent and i just want validation and if that's the case then that's been established at the beginning or later on that they can articulate that if that's the case that's the case that that's arguably not therapy <laughs> that's kind of like providing lip service uh and and maybe lip service isn't the best way of putting it but sometimes that's what people need mm-hmm. because they don't have a place for that but if if they are coming in with goals then then usually the goals piece or or they have there's something that they're not happy with and they want to make a change in let's put it that way uh then then they're coming to me because it's not working on their own mm-hmm. so it's like let's make a nudge here whatever direction they want to go in not in the current direction not in the current circle that they're going in mm-hmm that's that's what I'm trying to help highlight for them. If if I can get a client who can be assertive with me and saying I don't want that, then I'm thinking good. Good. They can articulate that. Excellent. Then we can we can be on the same page as to what they want versus them one session talking about not liking where things are at, struggling with self-esteem, wanting that to change, and then we start working on the self-esteem and they don't want to work on it. Mm-hmm. It's like, but you said you wanted to work on this. We can, we can slow it down, but let's, let's have a little nudge in some direction here. So that's, that's what comes to mind. Mm. Yeah, so can you give like a concrete example of kind of how to push out of your, out of your client's comfort zone, push them um, again, in a safe way, without you, of course, then becoming that, you know, as you mentioned, in a pejorative way, that safety person that isn't really helping them to accomplish the goals. Mm-hmm. Like maybe maybe take the example of um, a person who, who comes to therapy and says, I really want to start incorporating exercise into my life. Yeah. So... If it's, if it's the first session, it's like, let's have a plan here. Let's have a plan. Um, I like to start well, getting them to lay out the plan of what they want to do until they, they hit a wall. I, it's like, let's, 
let's have something in mind that you want to do with if it's going to the gym more. Um, that could that's a nice, very straightforward one where it's like let's let's start off right away. Or what have been your experiences in trying to go to the gym in the past? Let's just look at your history and what have been the blocks there. What do we need? What do we need to identify? Is it motivation? Um, do you need accountability? It's you know accountability can be so incredible for for making change. And then as therapists, we can be the you know people who can start to help with that, and then eventually they can get other supports in their life to also provide that accountability, which is great. So it, I, I think it would be identifying that, and 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 I guess there's. Like another popular approach here is I'm pulling a lot of pieces here for motivational interviewing, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is great for helping with resistance and saying, like, for example, how would your life look differently if you had achieved these goals? These types of questions, that question like that can help really give them a, a visual, a strong visual of what it would look different, of how it would look differently. And, and then another one might be asking what is something out of your comfort zone that still feels uh, possible between now and our next session that you could do. So it's, it's getting them to really set it out. Not me proposing goals for them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, make too many presumptions on that unless I'm getting like nothing and I'm pulling teeth to get some, get some responses. But, but you're not a dentist. So I'm not a dentist. Like yeah. That. I'm not good at that. That's not what they came for. Right. <laughs> that would be something if a client said, I'm here for you to pull my teeth. <laughs> that would be, that'd be very surreal. Um, metaphorically pull my teeth, please. Um, yeah. So if, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to presume what it is uh, that that is going to be out of their comfort zone, but still doable. I don't want to. I don't want to propose something that's just too much. I don't want to set a goal for them, and then they're thinking, "Yeah, okay." You know, they got this big pump up from the session, and then the moment they step outside, they're just like, "Hi, oh, I don't even know where to go. I don't even know where to begin with this." Yeah. Or what did he? What did he talk about? I know it's here on the on the piece of paper I wrote out in session, but I don't even know where to go from there. Yeah. That might be too much. And I, I like that you highlight that too, because you know, a lot of the, the students that I've worked with at the very beginning, you know, I think we can easily as therapists, novice therapists fall into sort of this trap of, I have to have these, these answers. I should be proposing the solutions or the goals. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and even even sort of from a solution focused perspective, you as a therapist, like you've said, it it shouldn't be your your job to propose the specifics. Yeah, it's, in general, it's tempting. Of course, yeah, because we're we're nice people, right? <laughs> we want to we want to support people. We want to to you know offer these fixes, these solutions that that quickly can create change. Yeah, there's, I, I, I was, I was in that narrative training, um, today and one of the, the, the group members 
brought up something really interesting about, well, she said she doesn't like using the word goals with clients. And my initial thought response was that seems, that seems odd. You don't like using the word goals, but she had a really good point talking about how there's so much riding on the goal. Mm-hmm. What if the goal isn't, is not achieved? And I thought, oh, that's such a good point. A goal can be very precarious. Yeah. If, it, if we succeed in the goal, then we're lifted up. If we don't, then we, maybe we just reaffirm that we're a failure. Um, it just brings that self-esteem back down. And that's, it, it's, it's very dichotomous versus, and, and she was, this other group member was saying something to the effect of, what moving closer to what you want looks like. Mm-hmm. It's just moving in the right direction of that change where rather than black and white, it's a lot more spectrum. Like, you know, yeah, it's more, more, yeah, we're, 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 we're pushing the needle further yeah. on, on the, on this, on this scale. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, me too. I, I, that really resonates with me. And, and again, kind of linking it back to some of the, the work that I've done with students over the last little while, I often hear them say, it's not working or I'm feeling stuck. I don't know what to do with this client. But maybe it's because, you know, these, the idea of setting goals can be kind of daunting, right? Because it's like they set this lofty ideal of like, I want to feel happy all the time. But that, that can be really, um, challenging to uh to kind of know for sure that you're getting there if it's not defined by the client so i guess yeah kind of as a, as a bit of a follow up to that when when you are noticing that um you know a a therapist is sharing with you that their client is feeling stuck or their client is sort of in these, you know, um, the beginning stages where they're not actually actively changing. Do you notice that, that the students that you've worked with or, or, you know, some early career therapists are, um, that they do feel stuck as well? Yeah. And I, I think like th- this probably hits novice therapists a lot, a lot stronger than say more experienced therapists um, or just maybe more experienced therapists have more of a, a tolerance for this. <laughs> there's almost this, uh, there's this, there's this question going on in the back of my mind says, how do I know I'm doing my job effectively? Mm-hmm. If I see a client making change, to me that goes, I'm doing my job. I'm I'm because this is working. Which is which isn't which is a terrible metric yep. <laughs> for one's own progress. And you probably recognize this where it's like I'll have a session where I've been working with someone for a while and they are just soaring with progress. They're coming in with complex trauma and 
they have so many very strong symptoms and and they're just making it through their they're they're having these big shifts in their uh, core beliefs they don't identify with them as much their triggers don't set them off as strongly as they used to they're making all kinds of uh, steps out of their comfort zone and it's and, and it's so it's so inspiring or it just it's, it feels great it's those are the moments where you think this is why I love this job mm-hmm. because it's very dependent on a client doing well. When I get to those later sessions with clients, it's like, I don't, I, I've, I, I'm just getting all this, um, this, this great feeling that they're making progress. And quite often clients will also be, thank you so much for this. You know, you've been so helpful for with me on this yeah. journey. I'm just like, at this point, I just feel like I'm along for the ride and it feels great. It can almost feel like we had a great session, but I didn't feel like I did a whole lot versus those other resistant clients not moving a nudge. And I shouldn't say not moving a nudge. It feels like they're not yeah. moving a nudge. There could be all kinds of change going going on. Of course there is. but it, and, and maybe it is moving from the pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action. Oh, they were about to, and now they're back to pre-contemplation. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that is not rewarding then I start to personalize it. Is it something about me? Mm. Is it something I'm doing? I think a lot of novice stu- therapists, they really yeah. they really feel that. And and it's and, and and so just to reiterate that earlier point, it's a poor metric for how effective you are doing as a therapist. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, I just just had this insight about this this past week probably because I had this real contrast um, in the same day, two clients doing incredibly well, two clients not doing well. (laughs) Guess which clients I felt like I was doing far more work in. Of course, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so that's that's what comes to mind. Yeah, I I often think of some of the students that I work with that I, I hear them saying like, you know, feeling frustrated because maybe the client didn't do the homework that they had sort of left for them to do outside of session or they're, you know, they never do the homework that I'm doing. And, and I mean, there's obviously more to, to that than, than what I'm just going to say here. But, but for me, I often think like, are you personalizing it? You know, is what it, what Mm -hmm. is that telling you about you? And is, is that valid information? The other piece is, okay, well, that's fine. What insight can you gain from that around your client, around what they're doing or what the progress is um, or, or what the barriers are to progress? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's really important for us as therapists to um, be aware of that because sometimes this resistance is... Well, I mean, I think probably a lot of the time the resistance is not because the client doesn't want to change, but because it's really freaking hard to change. Yeah, yeah, of course, it's it is really hard. Almost from an evolutionary perspective, we are we have evolved to to keep things going the same way mm-hmm. from the perspective of energy conservation. It requires 
a ton of resources to make change. If you're if your week is stacked with with items of 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 things you have to do, whether it's uh, work um, responsibilities, even if it, you have no responsibilities, like relatively next to no responsibilities, um, but you've been doing whatever it is you're doing. Maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, sitting at home, uh, and, uh, I I don't know, maybe it's sleeping 18 hours a day and, and it's playing video games. The majority of the hours that you're awake, uh, because you, you suffer from severe social anxiety and, and, and depression if that's what's going on, like anything that breaks out of the regular regimen of, of your week involves a ton of, of, uh, of, of mental and physical resources. Maybe that's going to the grocery store once every three or four weeks. It's like, oh my God, this is a mountain I have to climb. Yeah. Um, going back to your point around you know, cl- students feeling this frustration around my client not doing the homework, I asked them. This brings me to a really cool thing I heard from one of my uh, supervisors in my first year uh, postgraduate telling me, never give a client a homework assignment you haven't done yourself. Yeah. You know, it, it, it raises the question, have you done this before? Mm-hmm. What was it like? You haven't done it, and you're asking your your client to do it. What what's the problem here? This can be helpful, and maybe they they finally do do it, and then they can go, okay, I was able to do it. It's like, okay, was what was that like? Like a, even a cognitive restructuring exercise, where they're not they're not behaviorally going and and doing something out of their comfort zone, but there is even within the exercise of going out of your comfort zone where if, if they have, um, maybe they felt really upset about something, um, a stranger said to them in the grocery store. Um, and they found that like the, they just felt really, um, anxious or, or fearful because of a comment that w- that was made, it's like okay, let's let's look at this from a different perspective. Trying to look at it from a different perspective, as from like okay, that guy was saying that comment because he is a predator, versus maybe he's just trying to make small talk. Mm-hmm. You have to suspend this disbelief, um, and. In the moment, it feels like you have to betray your instincts. It feels like that when you suffer from a strong level of anxiety. And that, that's incredibly difficult. Because mm-hmm. like, I feel it though. I feel this fear. You're telling me that my fear is wrong. You're telling me I have that, uh, who knows what kind of conclusions they can draw from that. But even just in an example like that, it, it's incredibly difficult to especially if the emotion is very intense to say try look at it from a different perspective it's like oh 
that's that's hard to do. Yeah. So imagine a client um, showed up for their session and they they kind of shared that with you, like that situation. And, and you're hearing sort of that resistance, you know, that, that, well, you know, you're, you're not understanding me as my therapist because this is, this is really hard and there is that resistance there. What do you, what do you do? How do you, how do you navigate that with your client? If I'm getting frustrated with my client not doing the work, I'm... I'm engaging in judgment. Mm. And when when I'm and when I'm engaging in judgment, I'm not seeking to understand. Mm-hmm. It's like all curiosity has ceased. And and that can be a great moment of recognizing the the counter transference. Right. I'm I'm getting I'm I'm feeling annoyed because the client isn't isn't moving along the way I want them to move along. Mm-hmm. And and so that's where it's, it can be helpful. To like how are I might might be helpful to go. How are they feeling about how they're moving along? Or they're like I might think. There is a lack of progress here, but that's that's my assessment compared to other clients or compared to what this modality's uh, evidence demonstrates. This type of modality can be completed in twelve to sixteen hmm. weekly sessions. It's that that's exciting from a therapist perspective. Yeah, we can do short term therapy. Excellent. We can get some like really great work done. For example, with like, for example, with um, cognitive processing therapy, it the it's pitched to be a twelve session program. Mm-hmm. I I haven't had very many sessions, uh, many cases with clients where I get it done in twelve sessions. Right. Um. And I could say, well, I I I must not be doing a good enough job. Perhaps we also don't know what what were the like what was the level of complexity of trauma for the uh, the cases that were used that were conducted in the studies mm-hmm. for CPT. What was the exclusionary criteria? You know, the because <laughs> the, the, there are very strict exclusionary criteria, mm-hmm. and I've told I think I've told you about that working in my last job. There was an exclusionary criteria for clients that c- couldn't be ex- permitted in this twelve to sixteen week program, and for for the therapist who gets to work with that that population, it's great because mm-hmm. they they fit a certain bracket of of change. The majority of them do, did not demonstrate a lot of resistance to change, yeah, which is great, but then that creates a bit of tunnel vision as to how, how effective it is for the population at large. Um, 
what's happening to everybody else. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something else to consider. Like when you're working with a client who is resistant, um, yeah, there's a lot of other factors that come to mind. Like have they been, is there a history of being resistant? Have they gone through a lot of other therapists before um, where they drop out the moment it's it's rubber meets the road time. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. So I think I think my big takeaway from this is I think something that I know and also like oh yeah right resistance can be pretty normal in therapy and from the therapist perspective therapist perspective it doesn't necessarily mean you're you're doing poorly in terms of the work that you're doing with your clients. But also from the client perspective, I think, you know, it, it speaks to me about that need, you know, in therapy that we're, we're seeking empathy when we go to therapy. Change is a huge, important part of it, of course. But beyond that, we want some empathy. And we, we want understanding that the work that we're doing, the change that we're seeking, might be really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. So resistance in therapy isn't necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great hearing you say that out loud. Because the moment you, like when you just said that, there's there's a little part of the back of my mind that says, yes, it is. <laughs> it is, it is, because we're not, we're not meeting, we, we do, we're not seeing progress that's measurable. Mm-hmm. That's why our brains are very different, yours and mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm also tying it into so many uh, other fields of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it, it's like the, it's like wanting to show that there's improvements or it, it might, it might be associated with how do I know if I'm getting, if I'm improving my skills as a clinician, how do I know um, I'm, I'm improving. Yeah, I guess it's just how, how do I know I'm, I'm improving. We, and, and, and I guess, yeah, it's, Unfortunately, there aren't a whole lot of ways of measuring it because you can also look at uh, in private practice. Well, is your caseload going down? Oh, is it something about me? If my case, if I'm not getting enough clients, if I don't have a significant enough wait list, that's obviously can be due to so many other factors. You can mm-hmm. be if you can be fantastic at marketing, and you you, you have a lot of clients, uh, and you're keeping busy and you're satisfied with uh, whatever you're making 
every year. That's that's also not a great metric of your skills as a clinician. It's a it's a strange it's a strange field with being able to evaluate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's pretty subjective in many it's ways, insanely right? Subjective. <laughs> so. Yeah, there are some areas where it's like, okay, how effective are you at applying this specific modality mm-hmm. by, you know, conducting a session, having a recorded getting it reviewed by peers or a supervisor and then seeing what what their feedback is. And they're going, okay, how is it meeting this rubric? Mm-hmm. A bunch of specific metrics. I've had that conducted with my skills in CBT and that, that helps profoundly in my ability to improve as a clinician in CBT. A lot of those skills transferable in other areas. Uh, but it is, it is limited to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's sort of the beauty of it too, right? Is that every person is different. Every client is going to have slightly different needs. They're different. They've got a different story. You're going to relate to them and, and empathize with them and, and, you know, process with them in, in slightly different ways. And so again, you know, that, that resistance that can often come up, I think it's worth highlighting that that can be really normal and it doesn't have to be seen as bad mm-hmm. or that you are not doing a good job as a therapist. The client, you know, isn't putting work into therapy. I think looking at it like, okay, what insight can I glean from this to support the client? And then, of course, to support myself as a therapist too, right? To to continually develop and grow and become better is a really important way of looking at resistance. Yep. That's at least what I'm taking away from this conversation. Yeah, I am too. I am too. And I I wasn't planning, I wasn't expecting to take that away from from this conversation. It's It's been quite insightful. I think that, any other, any other last points that you wanted to bring up? No, I think I think I'm gonna hold on to those ones <laughs> for a little bit and mull them over some more. Sounds good. Well, with that, let's conclude. <laughs>